today, what we're going to be doing is we're continuing our study of the book of 2 Thessalonians. And in 2 Thessalonians, we're picking up again at chapter 2. And uh, we're going to start at verse 13. And we're going to just look down to verse 17 today. And we're going to be talking about the fact that this portion of Scripture reveals to us that we are called and equipped to stand firm. So think about that concept even before we take a look at the Scripture we're about to look at. We are called and we are equipped to stand firm. If you're using the Bibles in front of you, this will be on page 989. And we're in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, starting with verse 13. Again, it's a short portion of Scripture that reminds us we've been called and equipped to stand firm. This is what it says, starting with verse 13. It says, but we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the firstfruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. To this he called you through our gospel, so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the privilege that it is to be able to look at this portion of your word together today. And uh, Lord, we're just so thankful for what you've revealed to us in it. And for the fact that we have the opportunity today to just carve out a little time to focus on it. Lord, we recognize that it's not an excessively long portion of Scripture. It's a rather brief portion of Scripture that we're looking at. But Lord, we recognize that even if we're just looking at one verse, even if we're just looking at one statement, there's so much richness to the content of your word. And we know that you want us to hear it. We know, Lord, that you want us to grow from it. We know that you want us to ultimately learn what it means to embrace the truth of your gospel and put you first in all areas of our lives. And so, Lord, we commit this time of study to you now, and we pray that you'd speak to our hearts by the power of your Holy Spirit. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So growing up, I was blessed with younger sisters. I have two younger sisters, but the Lord did not see fit to give me a brother. So I I was the only boy in the house. I have two younger sisters. That's how life was. And I'm sure it wouldn't surprise you for me to make the statement that boys tend to be interested in different things than girls tend to be when they're growing up. Does that shock anybody? For instance, As a child growing up, I was very interested in several things, and two of the primary things that I was interested in were wrestling and fighting. You know, wrestling and fighting, right? Like all growing boys, I I liked wrestling, and I liked fighting. And for some strange reason, that never seemed to appeal to my younger sisters. They didn't seem to be as interested in those things as I was, although sometimes I really didn't give them much of a choice. You know, they were kind of forced to participate, and unfortunately, there's some some stories that go along with that that maybe I'll just keep in the vault, you know? Um, but there was one silver lining to my brotherless scenario that I am still grateful for. Um, I have a cousin who is the exact same age as I am. We were both born within really just a couple months of each other in the same year. 
And so we're the exact same age. We're always the same grade in school, all of that. And we didn't live that far apart. So he lived not too far away from where I lived, and, and I would see him with regularity. And, and usually, as our families would get together, and we would do that with regularity, when he and I would see each other, we would almost immediately begin to either wrestle or fight. And he only has a sister too. So I was his brother, he was my brother, right? And we would wrestle and we would fight. That's what we would do. And usually it was in good fun and sometimes it wasn't. Sometimes it started off in good fun and then became a little bit more heated. And uh, we had to kind of temper ourselves a little bit there. And since we would typically meet at my grandparents' home, and in order to prevent their furniture from being destroyed... Our fathers decided at one point, as we got a little bit older, to try channeling our energy in a different direction. I think they were getting sick of the wrestling and the fighting and the potential damage to my grandparents' home. And so what they did was they taught us a fun game that involved trying to force one another off balance. So if you ever played that game where you have to put, you know, you put one foot forward and the other person puts one foot forward and then you link hands and you have to try and force the other person off balance. You know, they have to try and, you have to try and make them lose their footing. And so since it was still a competitive game and since it still was like a test of strength, we loved it. And we didn't realize that we were being duped into being less destructive. We just thought, hey, they gave us another cool option where we can compete against one another. And so again, to win the game, you had to do one of two things. You had, to, it, you had to force your opponent off balance, but you also had to keep your balance. And um, basically, in that context, you needed to stand firm under pressure. That's the way you won that game. You had to stand firm. Pressure was being put on you. You had to stand firm. And I find it interesting when we look at the portion of Scripture that I just read to us a moment ago from 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, that according to this Scripture, when you look at what the Lord's done for us, in the spiritual realm, it's revealed to us here that we have been called and we've been equipped to stand firm in our faith, regardless of the internal pressures that sometimes work against that, and regardless of the external pressures that we may be facing, we've been called and equipped to stand firm. So take a look with me at some of the details in this passage as we observe the nature of how the Lord has equipped us to do this. So first off, in verse 13, one of the things that it shows us is that we were chosen for salvation. Look with me, if you would, at verse 13, where it tells us you were chosen for salvation. There it says this, But we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the firstfruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. So when you're looking at this passage, this passage begins by speaking about a spiritual reality that Christians would benefit from thinking about more than they tend to think about. And as Paul opens up these verses here in the book of Thessalonians, he wanted to remind them of one of the greatest reasons that we as believers should express our thanks to the Lord. And that reason is the fact that the Lord has chosen us to be the recipients of His gift of salvation. And that is not an inconsequential thing. That matters significantly. And this was something that Paul wanted to make sure that the Thessalonians understood. 
And so as he's describing this to them, he, he mentions that they were, the, he, he describes them this way. He says this of them. He says that they were the first fruits to be saved. Now, we just read that in verse 13 a moment ago, but he says they were the first fruits to be saved. So what he's saying there is he's, as he's describing them as the first fruits to be saved, he's talking about the fact that they were the first generation of believers in Jesus Christ in their city. They were the first fruits in Thessalonica to be saved. They were the first generations of Christians to experience the blessing of sanctification as the Holy Spirit enabled these young believers to grow in holiness. They were the first generation to have their, to have their eyes open to the truth of the gospel right there in their community. This was something that God had chosen them for. This was a, a, a very obvious, very clear blessing of the Lord. God had chosen them for this. They were chosen for salvation. Now, there's something special about the feeling of being chosen. Think about that on a personal level for just a second. The idea or the concept of being chosen. Now, in this context, Paul's talking about being chosen by God. But I think all of us have probably experienced seasons of our life where we were selected for something. Maybe you were applying for a job and you got selected for that job. Or maybe you were chosen to be promoted in that job. Or maybe you were singled out by your pastor on graduation Sunday and a, a big fuss was made about you, right? You know, something along those lines. I, I know one of the things that I remember my wife telling me a while ago, uh, she told me that in a very real way, when we were dating, that it made her feel more secure about our dating relationship during our college years when she thought about the fact that I chose her. That was her phraseology to me. There was something about that reality that she said impacted her on an emotional level. And it felt more solid. It felt more secure to her in some respects because she would think about the fact that I chose her. And I know that in, in moments where I feel chosen, it's a blessing to me. And when you feel chosen, it's a blessing to you. Uh, I even think of this in the privileges that some families have to adopt children. You know, sometimes uh, children who have been blessed with adoption, you know, they have a bunch of questions and they think about all sorts of things uh, related to that. And if they let their mind go in one direction, they're like, wait a second, does this mean I'm unloved? And it's like, no, it's the exact opposite. You were chosen. You were picked. You were selected. You are loved. And in fact, when you look at what Scripture tells us about our relationship with God, it tells us we were adopted into his family. And here the Thessalonians are being told about this, that they were chosen for salvation, that the Lord chose them. Consider what the Lord's revealing to us in this passage of Scripture by virtue of what he had done for the Thessalonians. This passage demonstrates that if you have had your eyes open to your need for Jesus to save you, it's because the Lord divinely graced you with that blessing. And it's kind of ironic because, or kind of, it's kind of funny when you think about it because it may have initially felt like you chose him. So when you think about the beginning of your relationship with Jesus Christ, I know for me, for many years, I would describe the beginning of my relationship with Jesus Christ as if I chose him. Like I got so smart one day and I chose him. And then you look at what scripture actually says and it basically reveals that, yeah, you may have initially felt like you chose him. But in reality, you responded to his offer because he chose you. He opened your eyes. 
He warmed your heart. He made you see something that you were blind and dead to. You didn't notice it. He brought it to your attention. He chose you. How about this? Does anyone here feel worthy to be chosen to be the beneficiary of Christ's gift of salvation? Anyone joining us on our live stream? You can put it in the comments, right? You know, anyone feel worthy to be chosen for the gift of salvation? You know, if, if, any, if anyone dares put their hand up, right? We're going to have the elders come around and smack your hand down, you know? Because <laughs> we're not, we weren't inherently worthy of that. that Rich is like, wait, I have to, what, what, what do I have to do? Um, it, it's fine, by the way, if you don't feel worthy of being chosen, because inherently, we were not worthy of that. That's not something we were naturally worthy of, but Jesus, consider what Christ has done for us. But Jesus, who atoned for our sin and fulfilled all righteousness on our behalf, he's willing to give us the gift of his righteousness. That's what he does the moment we trust in him. We receive the gift of his righteousness. So our worthiness, it has nothing to do with what we could offer him back. It has nothing to do with what we could offer the Lord who needs nothing from us. He doesn't need anything from me. He doesn't need anything from you. He wasn't lacking in anything. He is the perfection of perfections, right? He wasn't lacking in anything. He didn't need anything from us. So our worthiness had nothing to do with what we could offer him. Rather, Jesus is worthy. And as the Father looks at you and me, he sees his son Jesus Christ living within us. The worthiness of Christ becomes your worthiness. And it was given to you as a gift. And the scripture here tells us, yeah, you were chosen, not because you deserved it, not because you earned it, but in light of the fact that Christ already did the hard work for you. He did what needed to be done so that his righteousness could be granted to you as a gift. So we were chosen for salvation, and that amazes me because we actually deserved the opposite. But yet the Lord looked at you and he looked at me and he said, I want you to be part of my family. I don't want you to spend your eternity distant from me. I don't want you to be outside of my fold. And this was something that Paul was reminding the Thessalonians of so that this would be fresh in their mind, but it's also something that should be fresh in our hearts as we think about what does it look like to stand firm in the midst of the culture in which we live in at present. Now, when you go to verse 14, Paul tells us something else, and he tells us, you will share in the glory of Christ. Look at what it says in verse 14. It says this, To this he called you through our gospel, so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So, one of the, the most entertaining things to observe is to watch your friends interact with and raise their children. All right? That is a, that can be a very entertaining thing to observe from time to time. This is especially true when your children's, uh, or your friends' children remind you of younger versions of your friends. You know, whether they look like your friends. I have some of my friends, their kids look just like them and act just like them. And I feel like I'm seeing a spitting image of them. I, I remember recently, uh, I, I, uh, reconnected with somebody that was, uh, a neighbor of mine growing up, but I didn't realize, I, so I haven't seen her in probably 25 years. And I didn't realize it was her when I reconnected with her because she looked just like her mom. I was like, you look just like, 
she was her mom 25 years ago. I was like, wow, like same hairstyle, everything. I was like, you are your mom now. Isn't that an interesting, like it, that happens to us all, right? But you can even see it when somebody's young. It's especially, you know, uh, entertaining when you just see a, a young person, just like the spitting image of their parent or their characteristics, you know, that they're, that they're exhibiting really remind you of their mom or their dad. And I get the, the biggest kick out of, out of kids who, who uh, look like and talk like and behave just like their parents. And it's interesting, and I mention this because in a very real way, that concept is being demonstrated in a spiritual level in the words that Paul says here in verse 14. As part of the family of Christ, we will begin to look like him in many ways. And we will also share his glory. That's what Paul is talking about here in uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. We'll share in the glory of Christ. We begin to look like Christ in many ways as part of the family of Christ. That's one of the blessings that we're granted, the privilege to do so, the privilege to reflect His glory and share in His glory. And Scripture reveals to us that His glory will be seen in us forever. If you know Jesus Christ, His glory is going to be seen in you forever. Scripture tells us a few theological realities that we should notice about the pattern and process the Lord's bringing us through. The moment you came to faith in Jesus Christ, you were justified, Scripture says, which means that the Lord declared you righteous in that moment. He said, I declare you righteous, not because of anything that you've done, but because the gift of Christ's righteousness has been added to your account. So the moment you came to faith in Christ, you were justified. And then throughout your Christian life here on this earth, you're being sanctified. And this is a work that the Lord is doing through His Holy Spirit as He produces holiness in your life and in my life as we walk with the Lord and He changes our affections. He changes the things that we crave. He helps us mature in faith. He helps us grow in holiness. He helps us reflect His image more and more and more. He helps us value the things that He values. He prods our conscience to be troubled by the things that trouble Him. By the way, did you ever notice that your conscience as you get older in your walk with Christ becomes a bit more sensitive? If you're truly walking with Christ and you notice things that you didn't notice when you were a teenager... Because you didn't, you didn't see it yet, and you didn't notice it as a young child. You didn't notice it as a teenager. You may not have even noticed it in your early adult years. But then as, as your walk with Christ continues to progress, you see things that you didn't see before, because what's he doing? He's opening your eyes and helping your mind to mature in faith as you share in his glory. And sometimes I even wonder, as uh, I, I really wrestle with this at times as a parent, you know, uh, because I think I don't want my kids to think I'm being oppressive when I set certain standards for their life and, and for the culture of our household. I'm not trying to be like some mean ogre. But what happens is the longer you walk with the Lord, the more he allows you to see things and your conscience becomes sensitive to things that it used to be dull to. And because you begin caring about these things, what do you end up doing in your household? You insist on it in your home. You say, no, I can't control what goes on out there. But here I insist on it because the Lord's made my conscience sensitive to this. And now I see something that I didn't see 20 years ago. And I didn't see this 30 years ago. And I didn't see this 40 years ago. And the Lord helps us to see things 
in a new way. And so this is that sanctification process we're growing in right now. We're a work in progress. And I suspect that if the Lord allows me to live a few more decades, a few decades from now, I'll look back and I'll be, I'll be sensitive to things that I'm not even sensitive about now that, that I haven't progressed in my, in my walk with him to that level yet. I hope that my faith continues to mature over the course of my life. That's the process of holiness and sanctification that the Lord is walking us through. And then scripture tells us there's another thing the Lord has in store for us. You and I, when our time here is, is finished on earth, this body wears out, this body gets put in the ground, this, pot, this body returns to dust. The Lord's going to fashion a new body for us out of this body. So, you know, we're still to be respectful to this body because the new one is fashioned out of this one. Uh, that's why I believe that we shouldn't, you know, harm our, our physical body in any way because the new body is fashioned out of this one. It shows respect for the fact that you're, you're created in the image of God if you treat your body well. But the Lord tells us that he's going to glorify us with a new glorified body. A new glorified body that out of the seed that gets planted in the ground of this body, a brand new glorified body is going to be created and we will spend forever in a glorified state, in the Lord's presence. We will share in the glory of Christ for all time. So you've been justified through Christ, you are being sanctified by the Spirit, and you will be glorified by the Father to spend your eternity in His presence for all time, reflecting the image of Jesus Christ, the perfect Son of God. I love what Scripture tells us as it explains some of these details in Philippians chapter 3, starting with verse 20. This is what it says. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him to subject all things to Himself. Again, it says, but our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body. Think about that, that this lowly body, this lowly, unimpressive body is going to be transformed to be like Christ's glorious body. You and I, if we know Jesus Christ, we will be glorified. This was something that Paul was trying to help the Thessalonians to embrace. This is what he was trying to help them to understand. This is where he wanted them to grow in their walk. And since we're going to be sharing in Christ's glory for all time, what's holding us back from giving people a glimpse of that glory right here and now? Is that something that we could be doing right here and now? I believe we can. I believe the Lord wants to show others His glory through how He is graciously working in our lives right now. This isn't all about some future day. This is all about right now. Right now as well where the Lord shows His glory through us. And so Paul was trying to help the Thessalonians to understand these things. And he shows them, again, these are reasons you can stand firm even in the midst of an unbelieving world. And then he goes on in verse 13 to give them another reason they could stand firm in their faith. And he, and he, and he tells them as a pattern and as a practice that they must take the teaching of God's Word seriously. Look at verse 15 with me, if you would. Verse 15 says this, so then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. 
Now, recently, I set up a new office in my home. I don't know, some of you I'm connected with on Facebook, so you probably saw some of the pictures of it. It took me a little while to do. I had my wife's help as well. We repainted the the basement and, and, um, and reconfigured some things so that I could take an unused spot in the home and turn it into a better home office. I didn't really have a good home office. I just had... A, a desk in the corner of the basement, but I wanted to make something a little bit more substantial. And especially with how many weeks all of us felt cooped up, I thought, all right, this is a perfect time for me to set something like this up. And I got to tell you, it's become my favorite place to work, especially during the summer months, because my basement, you know, I'm down in the basement, it always stays cool down there. It doesn't get very hot down there. It stays nice and cool down in the basement. So again, I took a corner of the basement. It wasn't being used uh, really for anything significant. And I completely transformed it. And I set up partitions to kind of give it its own space where it's set off from the rest of the basement. And I built a very practical L-shaped desk. I always wanted an L-shaped desk because I can have my computer right here in front of me, but all the stuff that I'm reading laid out on the, the desk to the left. And that's exactly how I have it set up. Computer in front of me, whatever I'm reading or doing sermon prep from on the, the, this part of the L to my left. And I really enjoy it. I even bought a new printer that's a copier. So I've got that and it makes color pictures. So I'm like, all right, this is great. I've got a color printer. My, you know, everyone in the household's really loving it. It works well with our phones. We're printing stuff like crazy. I'm going to spend all my money on ink now. But regardless, it prints color photos. And whenever, when everything was put together, the kind of the, cause I put two bookshelves in there too. I thought, all right, the last thing I need to do is put some of my, favorite books in this space. I want to put some of my favorite stuff in here so it's easily accessible when I'm working from home. And uh, in the midst of that, I also wanted some of my favorite copies of the Bible to be in close proximity on my desk. And so I have a very large print ESV study Bible. It's a $200 Bible. I actually got it for free about seven or eight years ago. It was given to me for free by a, a publisher. And it's beautiful and it's big. And I have that mainly right there on the left of, of, of me. And then I have another one. I have the Bible that I was given when I was ordained as a pastor. I have that over to my right. And then I have one of the copies of the church Bibles on a table behind me because when I'm doing sermon prep, I also want to know what page the scriptures we're looking at are on in the, the church Bible so I can make a note of that and announce it. And, uh, and it dawned on me as I was setting up I was like, I've got Bibles everywhere in this office. Like every corner of this office has a Bible. And I started thinking about my home. I was like, I think every room or just about every room in my home has a Bible. And I was like, and, I, and I've got a Bible in my car. Like these are printed Bibles, you know. I, and on top of that, I have digital Bibles on my phone, multiple digital Bibles on my phone and on my iPad and access it through my computer. And I was like, wait a second, how many Bibles do I have in my church office too? And in the in my office right here, I've got at least 20 in different translations. And I was just thinking about that. It dawned on me how many Bibles, printed Bibles, I've gathered over the course of my life. I even have them in Greek. And so you look at that and you're like, all right, I have copies of the Bible almost everywhere I go, more copies than I think I know what to do with. And I was thinking, what a blessing it is. And I've thought about this from time to time. What a blessing it is to live in an era where the Word of God is so accessible. So accessible, like in any direction I move, I could grab a physical copy of the scripture when I'm working, and it kind of amazes me to have such easy access to that. I was thinking about that again when looking at verse 15 here, where again, I'll reread it, but Paul says to them, so then brothers, stand firm 
and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter, what he was telling them is that you must take the teaching of God's word seriously. You must take the teaching of God's word seriously. But the Thessalonians lived in an era where getting a printed copy of something was sometimes rather impossible. And it was impossible for multiple reasons. First of all, the New Testament was just being written. It was still in the process of being written. And printing presses had not yet been invented. That didn't exist yet. They still had 1,500 years to go before the printing press was invented. So literature was not as readily available to them as it's readily available to you and I. In fact, in their era, if you had a copy of something, how was it, how was it passed along? It was written out by hand. So if you had scrolls or, or, or copies of things, a lot of times they were very expensive. And a lot of times, because they were so rare and hard to get, teaching was passed along through oral tradition. Oral tradition is how things were passed along and remembered. So you have Paul acknowledging that. You know, he says, things that you were either taught by us, either by spoken word or by our letter. He's acknowledging what was common at the time. You would teach by the oral tradition because people didn't readily have physical copies of everything. So you would, people would memorize major portions of the word of God so that they could pass it along via oral tradition. And, you know, at times, um, even if there was a copy of the scriptures in a particular era, or area, I should say, you would have to share it with many, many people. And in fact, centuries ago, uh, even in the early days of the printing press, but certainly prior to that, when a church had a copy of the scriptures, it was usually on a chain in the church so someone couldn't steal it. Could you imagine, of all things, stealing a copy of the Bible? It'd be, it's like when you would go to the pen, uh, to the bank when you were, you know, years ago. I don't even know if they still do this or if they even care about it. But when I was a kid, I was always fascinated when you go to the bank and you go to use a pen and it's on a long chain. And I was like, come on, you know, like, how do you, how do you use this? Like, I can't even, I can't get this thing, right? Well, that's how the Bibles were for, for many years. You know, you just had it on, on a chain in the church. And so this was the kind of context that the Thessalonians were living in where oral tradition and maybe portions of a letter or fragments would be passed around, but it wasn't as easy for them to access the scriptures as it is for you and for me. But just the same, even though they had additional challenges, Paul implored them to stand firm in the word of God that had been delivered to them. And that's a challenge I want to deliver to our hearts today as well. We need to be people who take the word of God seriously. If we're going to stand firm in the midst of shaky seasons, we've got to take the word of God seriously. So let me ask this very practically. What does it mean to take the word of God seriously? What does that actually look like? What does it mean to be people who do what Paul's challenging the Thessalonians to do here? Well, I think a person who takes the word of God seriously will be curious about it and motivated to learn it. If I tell you I take the Word of God seriously, but I'm not actually curious about what's in it, and I'm not actually motivated to learn what's in it, well, you can rest assured, I do not take the Word of God seriously if those things are true of me. But if I am curious about the Word of God, and if I am motivated to learn what's in it, guess what you can also assume? I'm taking it seriously, right? And how about this? I think if somebody takes the Word of God seriously, they'll be intentional to obey it because they trust its source. 
So again, there are plenty of people, and I know people in my life that have read through the entire Scripture, but they don't really take it seriously. And I can tell that they don't take it seriously because they don't obey it. They don't trust that its, divinely or, that, it, that its source is divine, that the Lord Himself is the one who has communicated it. If we take it seriously, we'll obey it. So conversely, a person who does not take God's Word seriously, they won't examine it, they won't commit it to memory, and they won't obey it. They won't look at it, they won't remember it, they won't obey it. And it's evidence they don't really take it seriously to begin with. They'll simply continue. This is the reverse of this. Now think about this. They'll continue to obey their own passions and the changing values of the culture. That's what will dictate the course of their life, their own passions and the values that change in the culture. And they'll be mindless of the fact that they live in spiritual ignorance. And they'll just float along life as if these things don't really matter. But Paul wanted more for the Thessalonians. The Lord wanted more for the Thessalonians. The Lord wants more for us. He wants us to be people who take the Word of God seriously because it has a direct benefit and impact on just how good your life will be, on how your walk with the Lord will progress. One last thing I want to point out to us from this portion of Scripture, and this is where I want to finish today. And that's this, in verses 16 and 17, as Paul's talking about this idea, you know, that we can stand firm and must stand firm, he also reminds us that we have been set up to succeed in matters, in ways that matter most. We've been set up to succeed in ways that matter most. Look at verses 16 and 17, they say this. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. So let me say this as we kind of wrap up this morning. I'm grateful for the ways that the Lord invests in His children. He doesn't call us unto Himself and then forget about us. He's building us up. He's enabling us to succeed in ways that actually matter. And Paul demonstrates that here in this passage. He reminds us that the Lord shows us His unconditional love. And not only does He love us, but He comforts us with an eternal comfort. And in conjunction with that, He grants us hope beyond the present moment. And then because He's fully invested in making us people who reflect His glory, Scripture here tells us that He establishes us in every good work and word. In Christ, our feet are being planted on solid ground. And when you look at your life, what do you see? Are you still measuring yourself by earthly metrics that hold no value for eternity? Do you still beat yourself up because your life doesn't look exactly like what you thought it might look like at this particular point? Do you tell yourself that the goal of your life is to have a fulfilling career, a perfect marriage, children who never make mistakes, and more money in your account than you know what to do with. That's what the world's telling themselves. Are we telling ourselves that same sort of thing? Is that really the metric that we should be using? Are we torturing ourselves by measuring our life with worldly metrics that have nothing to do with what Scripture actually tells us? The measurements that this world uses should not be the measurements we adopt for ourselves. We've been set up to succeed in ways that are much more meaningful. 
We have significantly greater things to look forward to, and we're being prepared for a more glorious future than what we endure right now in the present. So let me say this as we wrap up. Through faith in Jesus Christ, you are called and equipped to stand firm in the midst of a world that tends to adopt a very unstable value system for itself. Let your mind dwell on that truth. Let your eyes see beyond the present moment. Give your heart permission to anchor itself in the words and works of Christ. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for the privilege that it is to be able to look at your word together today and to realize that you have absolutely called us and equipped us to stand firm. Lord, we know that 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 is not something that we can claim any credit for. We're not worthy of the gifts that you've blessed us with, but we're grateful for them. Lord, you've called us. You've equipped us to stand firm. You've shown us in this portion of Scripture some of the the multiple ways that you've accomplished that. So, Lord, we pray that that by your grace that you would help us to, to know you and to love you and to walk with you in all things. We pray that we would be people who take your word seriously. We pray that we would be people who stop measuring our lives by worldly metrics and beating ourselves up because of this fear that somehow we don't measure up according to a a shaky standard in this world that constantly changes and is always based on things that can be taken away. But Lord, we're grateful for the fact that you've chosen us, that you've given us your name, that you draw us unto yourself, that you open up our eyes, that you justify us, that you sanctify us, and that you promise to glorify us. And in this process of growing in holiness that we're experiencing right here and now, we pray, Lord, that we would listen to you as you speak to our hearts and our minds, and that we would walk with you faithfully in the midst of all things. We love you, Lord, and we're grateful that we have the privilege to start off our week with this kind of reminder from your word today. We pray that it would sink in and that you'd bring it back to our attention frequently. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for listening to this week's episode. When you get the chance, I'd like to invite you to stop by my website, which is desirejesus.com. And when you're there, be sure to sign up for our email list and take advantage of the free books and free resources that we have there to help you grow in your walk with Christ. And if you feel led to help support this podcast and our other online ministry efforts, please click the link in this episode's description to give a gift. And don't forget to leave the podcast a rating or review via your favorite podcast player. I hope you have a great week, and I'm looking forward to getting together again right here next Monday. Take care.
Have you ever attempted to read the entire Bible? Did you do it, or did you only make it part way? I'm John Stonge, and I host a podcast that will make it possible for you to make it through the entire Bible, one chapter at a time. I've been hosting the Chapter a Day Audio Bible Podcast since 2015, and every single day of the week, I read one chapter of Scripture, then follow that up with a time of prayer. And if you're looking for daily insights and inspiration directly from God's Word, I hope you'll give the Chapter a Day Audio Bible a listen. You can find it at lifeaudio.com or on your favorite podcasting app.